you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL Podcast. We'll go for it on 4th and Inches. Damn right. Welcome. And so should you, Bill O'Brien, to the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Coming to you from room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Divisional round weekend in the books. And a very interesting, I wouldn't say it was a classic divisional round weekend. Sometimes with these weekends, and there's a reason why everybody's like, oh, it's the best weekend of the year. Um, including me saying <laughs> You, that. multiple um, times. <laughs> is that because you have all these great teams uh, at this point, and the flotsam has been jettisoned. The jetson has been jettisoned. The jets have been jettisoned. Um Usually, you just have great games, and we... Took 49 seconds for the Jets to be mentioned on the show. <laughs> we struggle. <laughs> well, the Patriots won't come up much either this week, I can tell you that. Oh, wait a um, Actually, no, your wide receiver's in jail right now. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> he broke out. Beverly Hills. They can't, they can't keep him down. Oh, we'll get to Zolak, too. What a mess. <laughs> Clean it up, bro. Be a, prof- be a professional. All right. All right. Let's be pros ourselves. We did not have a close game for the first three games of the divisional round uh, weekend. Well, there was close. The, the first game today got close, and then it got really out of control. And then finally, the late game, the Seahawks show a pulse and uh, turn that into a, a nail-biter down the stretch. We needed that, Wes. We wanted at least one nail-biter in divisional round weekend. Well, Greg was pulling for a close game. I was pulling for the Packers to do away with the imposters who are the Seahawks. Ooh. It's basically Russell Wilson carrying a Go Hawks. injured depleted roster into the playoffs, and I didn't think they belonged in the playoffs. I think overall, though, it it was a great divisional round weekend because you got the first one ended up being a dud. But the other three were fascinating in their own ways. Like this last game, it was close. The other two were more fascinating to me. I mean, that was like a a divisional round game in the Ravens game. I think we'll remember a long time from now. And we've never seen a game quite like Texans Chiefs. So even though they weren't close at the end, they like blowouts can be kind of fun and interesting too. I'd say of the four of us, I enjoy blowouts. 
for yeah. multiple reasons. But <laughs> what? But in this case, like, forget the close games. Like, insane plot points right, were written exactly. and authored and filmed. I mean, stuff happened that shocked the senses. So I don't care if it's a close game when like things are happening that completely change the story. We got a much needed fresh fresh batch of narratives I do that we think can carry I, through an entire offseason. I think some things were, were getting a little predictable and stale where we thought, and even on our, our network show on Friday, I authored a prediction from long ago that I thought was rock solid, and it got blown up in two mm. minutes. Everything we said on that show got blown up for the most part. Yeah, actually, everything I said played out. No, I yeah. think my, Viking, Negative. my Vikings pick looked great <laughs> mid-Saturday mid afternoon. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the games, uh, and let's go like we did last week in – Reverse order um, from the game that just got finished to the first game that was played. So that then takes us, of course, to Lambeau Field. Rodgers in the shotgun, takes the snap, rushes on, lofts it over the right side. Devontae, over the shoulder, catch, out of bounds, cross the 50. First down, Green Bay, the 46-yard line of Seattle. That was huge. A beautiful throw over the shoulder, catch, Devontae Adams. Oh, yes, Wayne Larravee with the call for the Packers Radio Network. Yes, with the Seahawks charging hard and Russell Wilson looking to crush hearts in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers delivered a I'm Aaron Rodgers, damn it, moment. The one we've been waiting for. Two huge third and long conversions uh, late in the fourth quarter allowed the Packers to run out the clock and punch their ticket to the NFC title game 28-23 over Seattle. West. let's go back to your cornhole analogy with Rodgers. Um... Sometimes in that in that fine parlor game, the hardest point to get is when it, you know it's twenty to seventeen. Just put it on the board and you win. And Rodgers was facing that moment. He needed to make that throw to get him home to send the Seahawks out of the party, and that's what he did. I feel like the Packers were up like seventeen to ten in cornhole. Seahawks brought it back, <laughs> and then there's six bags blocking the hole, and Rodgers throws it and knocks, pushes two of his in, and then goes in right behind it. What a heartbreaker! <laughs> it when was that happens. it was a perfect throw, and I think that was part of the analogy to begin with. He can make these throws, and that's why he keeps trying to do it. And today he didn't miss on the tough throws. Uh, Eric Eager of PFF pointed out he was perfect on throws that went over 10 yards. Six for six for 145 yards and two touchdowns. And you think of the end of the game, which also included a clutch throw to Geronimo Allison on the drive before, which helped burn some clock. The throw to Jimmy Graham. But you also think early in the game, on the first drive, there were multiple third and longs where he hit the throw on time to his first read, which are the kind of throws you haven't seen a ton from the Packers, or at least not consistently. And he was hitting his back foot, and he was letting it go, and it was looking like a a vintage Rodgers performance for the most part. Uh, You know, I I wonder where they will wind up, because I'm still concerned about the... Lack of weapons. I on mean, offense. they're in the NFC Championship. No, I'm game. just saying. I like final it, we, four, baby. As we as we have to mine on and start to look at that game, you are going to be facing a completely different defense than the broken down Seahawks defense. That you know, I thought they hung around in this game, Seattle, because they themselves simply do that in every single game. But this, for a long stretch of time, looked like Green Bay might just completely wind up dropping a mega hammer on Seattle because they could run the ball. They were just sort of having their way on offense, and it's not. I don't feel like we've seen a lot of that from Green Bay's you know, attack of late, but they were playing a team that was on its last 
gasp of air. And that's not going to be the case when you go into San Francisco. Four We're, touchdowns in their first six drives. I mean, that's a pretty dominant Then went dark, though. Right, they went dark. And Devontae Adams was fantastic, but all other Packers wide receivers combined for 19 yards on two catches. Alan Lazard held without a catch. And the other wide receivers were outproduced by December waiver pickup, kick returner <laughs> Tyler Irvin. And this is on Dan's radar, I know. The, the Packers was wide August. receivers. Like, they, they ignored the position. They waited for these second-year guys to step up. It never happened, and it's too late now to fix it. So now it's just Aaron Rodgers, I mean, this was, find a way. It was an A-plus, though. I mean, they had eight possessions, and they scored four touchdowns, and then they killed the clock to win the game at the end. That's five of the eight possessions. Maybe not an A-plus, an A-minus. The I, defense for them it couldn't, was. couldn't get a stop in the second half, uh, and they did what they could. I'm looking across the field at Russell Wilson and thinking, who has you know more help, Wilson or Rodgers. Yeah, you have Lockett and Metcalf, and that's shiny, but you've got an awful offensive line. You've got Marshawn Lynch running 12 for 26, and you've got Malik Turner dropping the first down throw on what turned out to be the Seahawks' last drive of the season, which to me is kind of an overlooked moment in that game. I mean, that was an easy 13-yard completion that went right off his chest. They end up taking a sack, which makes it 4th and 11, and they end up punting the ball which I think is a questionable decision by uh, Pete Carroll that at least of all the third and tens that they've picked up well, in this offseason, I get it. I mean, it's not a Seahawks game if you aren't questioning Pete Carroll's uh, you know, approach to something. So. Well, here, when you're getting an a plus, when you're getting a Hall of Fame quarterback at the very peak of his powers and you're doing your best to limit his impact on the game, I think you deserve What I would criticism. say, though, their approach out of the gate, I wish they had just sort of ran the entire affair the way they did in the second half. Just, right. just I feel basically. Like we say that every game with Russell. It is true, but that, but 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 they continue to do that. They kind of drive you nuts because there was way too much Marshawn Lynch, like in the middle of the field early on. Let me on. give you a stat. The, sure, Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer carried 32 times for 58 yards in the playoffs. Ugh. Less than two yards a carry, and they stayed with the stutter stepping Marshawn Lynch. I understand that the goal line you're going to do that, but not in the middle of the field. Right. They had three huge plays in the last uh, three and a half minutes of the game. Uh, you had the third and five, Seattle, at their own 42, with 322 to play. Preston Smith, who's been doing it all year, because Brian Gutekunst knows exactly what he's doing. Goody! Goody! He's got my executive Wait, of the year. Turn this up in my ears. Does he? Goody. Sure. It's, it's made up. John Lynch. That was a huge sack by Preston Smith with Jacob Hollister, a tight end, trying to block it. This is Brian Gutekunst singing, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> or barking. Um, After he signed the Smith brothers. So he killed it. Preston Smith again steps up with a huge play. The fourth and 11, they punted, as you said, Greg. It should keep in mind that as great as the Packers were, they had scored three consecutive touchdown drives of 75, 60, and 75 early in the third quarter. They had they got him off the field, the Seattle defense, twice in a row. Three plays and out, and then an eight-play, 25 yards and out. So I guess Carroll said, we have the momentum. Let's kick it away. We don't want to lose this game on a fourth and forever, which is fourth and 11 is getting in that range. Stop him and force him to stop. kick a field goal, and you can you're Go still win one the game, Russell game. Wilson. But, and what I think was so huge, that stop on third and five, the Green Bay defense was gassed because they were going up and down the field, Seattle. They had scored three consecutive touchdowns. And like I just said, the Green Bay offense was getting on and off the field quickly. So to step up with that sack was the play of the season, I thought, for Green Bay before the two passes by Rodgers when they got on the field. 
the throw that we heard to Devontae Adams. And then Jimmy Graham, who hasn't made a big play in forever, uh, with the game hanging in the balance, again, third and long. A nice pass by Rodgers, a little low, and, and Jimmy Graham went and got it and then fell onto the first first down line. Game over. So in a, in a season where Rodgers hasn't had a lot of weapons outside of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, he's got the last little bit of playmaking ability out of Jimmy Graham in there in the mm. final four because of it. You got to give the coaches some credit too. I think having Devontae Adams matched up against Uga Amadi, who I think was viewed as a weakness of this, of this defense on like a slot fade, which is, you know, you, you've seen a lot this year on third. I mean, that's great coaching. And you see Rodgers recognize the blitz, Aaron Jones with the great blitz pickup. I mean, they, they picked the right matchups when it mattered. Hats off to Russell Wilson, whose playing style sort of reminds me of the Harlem Globetrotters distilled into one corporeal entity. Mm. He, I don't this, like is this. this is why Wes makes the big bucks. The Seahawks <laughs> did not plan to go into the postseason with Russell Wilson Travis Homer, Marshawn Lynch, Jacob nope. Hollister, and Malik Turner as key figures. I mean, that's congratulations to them for getting this far, but that was not a playoff roster the last two weeks. Right, but and you're right. And I was, you know, I, before the game, I said they had a disadvantage at quarterback. The Packers did. In this game, I think both quarterbacks played outstanding. But I think, and maybe it's because I follow too, too many people on Seahawks Twitter. Although, is that possible? You know, Seahawks Twitter. You're watching them from afar. Is that a humble brag? I don't know. I don't think it is. I, here's what I'm saying. They're all, they're all obsessive. Like, are we maximizing Russell Wilson? Is he having to overcome this coaching staff? Not only Brian Schottenheimer, but Pete Carroll. Carroll taking shots who, again. Who, okay, Brian Schottenheimer, is this the right guy to be running their offense? And then... Pete Carroll is a defensive coach who's coached two mediocre defenses in a row, and that's fine if you play that way. But we talked about it. I talked about it in week four or five. He's coaching this team he wishes he had that could run and play defense. He doesn't have that team. Well, that's, that's I think, the point we made before is, like, they, they kept trying to be what Brian Schottenheimer wants them to be until they said, wait a minute, we're going to get waxed if we continue that. On the flip side, Matt LaFleur, I feel like now, I, you know, no matter what happens, had they lost this playoff game, you go into the offseason with a lot of questions about a 13-3 and team that wasn't really the record. I, I, this is a huge win for Matt LaFleur. Absolutely. But that said, you are right now at the same precipice that Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers have been at throughout essentially the entire last decade. And, and I don't like their chances in San Francisco, but this is the same song and dance for Aaron Rodgers a hundred times. I, I, he, I mean, this is great, though. He's, it's, it's, he's over, a game. I'm not raining on right his now. parade. I'm, I, they, you kind the, of are. You're the, you are. Because the, the they've overachieved. The better team, they've the better team by won. Any measure. The better team won, but I, just, I am not convinced that, the, that Aaron Rodgers gets any better than this game the for the rest of his career. The 49ers are going to be, I don't know what the desert say, the it says, career. but the 49ers are going to be a favorite in this game. People are going to disregard the Seahawks, the Packers. But, I mean, listen, it might be... Well, you guys don't sound like you are. I'm not. No, I, I I'm think not. it's too simplistic. The totally. 49ers are the better team. Of course they'll be I favorite. just think that you're... I'm just you're, saying it's a little... Uh, maybe it's too simplistic uh, to say this, but a team that's won 14 of 17 games in an NFL season and we're getting into mid-January should not be completely discounted. Well, and we would, be, we would be fools to, at this point to, to try to sell anyone watching this, a bill of goods saying we know exactly what's going to happen because these these games are a complete dart at a dartboard that's 40 yards away in the middle of the night. But I but I still <laughs> I a, still think... What a throw just to even get it near the right, dart. I mean, what, a, what a throw by you to complete that analogy. The, the dart was wavering midair. I didn't think it was getting there. The and then the bullseye. Mark just used a parlor game analogy. Imagine Ooh. how difficult that must have been. Well, we got, you know, we, this side of the table has both used parlor game analogies to discuss the Packers at this point. So, mm. your turn. <laughs> 
<laughs> billiards. What a sport. You got the cue ball. No, I don't have anything yet. Uh, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, after the game, I like Aaron Rodgers' cliches and, uh, and you know, scripted answers. I just think they're fun. Obviously, Aaron Andrews at Fox has a nice little relationship with Mr. Rodgers. It's been going on for years now. They've been in the league together, uh, her covering the league, him as a star. She asked him after the game what he's got kind of cooking in his mind as they prepare to face a 49ers team that blew their doors off uh, about a month ago. You're, you're the king of mottos. Do you have one heading into uh, the <laughs> NFC Championship against San Francisco? What do you got? Come on. I'm just going to enjoy a nice glass of scotch tonight and get onto the film, San Fran, and get ready for a tough opponent. All right, old man. I can joke with you about that. Congrats. Thanks. The king of mottos. You know That's how, how we know him. You know how upset RG3 is to hear that? That someone else is the <laughs> right. king of mottos? Uh, what, what a man after your heart, though, Wes. Uh, give me a glass of scotch, and I'm going to take Is that everything okay? I'm going to tape dog all night. With my scotch. I feel like that's at least the fourth time I've heard Rogers say after a game, I'm going to have a glass of scotch and enjoy yeah, this one. That's he, his move. Yeah, that's he does his... feel like a pole doll at some point where you're just going to oh. get those like eight oh, or nine. You know, Mark, <laughs> stop it. It's funny because you know, somebody put an umbrella over Sessler. It's raining. <laughs> it's funny because this whole year all I heard about is that these two guys are on Seahawks' corner. They couldn't have been rooting harder against the Packers nope, in this game. No, ridiculous. But, and, uh, Speaking of overly remote. simplistic, I was on Seahawks' corner because they're a fun team that's I'm always in the mix. I they locked were, up the Packers. Congrats to you. Uh, that's thank true. you. That's right. Uh, because I believe that they were the better team. Seahawks. We're a team that were so beat up. I'm with you. I'd rather see this game. Hopefully their running game gets worked out. I love Marshawn Lynch, but I don't really need to see him on the field anymore. I, it's cool that he had four touchdowns uh, this season to end what is a Hall of Fame career, in my opinion, but they need to get better and but healthier. All, well, I would say one thing. Seattle beat San Francisco and took them to the brink with that banged-up roster. That's true. Green Bay did not match up well the first time. I'm not trying to go down this road over and over. but We agree that, with you, yeah, like, I just, but it's just – I think this is a, a nice night for the Green Bay Packers. It is. It is. Who it is almost big, got and, disregarded and as a um, number yeah. two seed, yep. you know, home the better team, team coming won. off a bye. The better team took this game. Hmm. And Dan was – I feel like Dan was pulling for the Packers. You were definitely pulling for Aaron Rodgers to hit that pass to All Devontae three of you were. Do you know what I want? That was my point. I'm, just, I'm keeping it real just as a football fan and someone who's going to be lucky enough to be covering the game. A Patrick Mahomes-Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl – Feed it. Mm. Put it in my veins. If that's how it works out, I actually would be cool with any Super Bowl combo, but that one is the one that I really want to see. I mean, there is something special about it, especially in a season where Rodgers wasn't at his best to maybe have his best game of the year or one of his best games of the year in this spot. I mean, he's so legendary. After the game, Marshawn Lynch entered the Packers locker room to do a jersey exchange and and, uh, sign with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Not many people are getting that sort of respect couple of Cal graduates, yeah, right? Yeah, his, yep. his old teammate. I get it, but still, uh, he also he's came, not doing that for anyone. Mark, he came into the league. He's a 2010 draft class, right? He came into the league when you and I came to the NFL. I don't want the sun setting on his career because if it's setting on Aaron Rodgers' career, you know, we might be in trouble too. <laughs> We're talking to who came into the league in 2010? Aaron Rodgers, right? Much earlier than that. Wow. Oh, he, uh, he won a Super Bowl in 2010. Yes, so. yes, that is true. I mean, that's what a enough. long time. That's what advantage enough. we have on these players. You know, their their careers are. You know, the sun is setting as they hit forty. We're just we're just about to enter our prime, damn, our broadcasting <laughs> prime. A bit more like a Romo scenario. I'll go with you on that. That is I a, like that, that is a wild presumption by you. But <laughs> all right, all right. So 
Mark, the Packers are still alive. It's going to be that way for another seven days. I couldn't days be happier for them, but I'm not. I, but I, you, the three of you couldn't. You were all so pro Packers. I have to offer that challenges lie ahead. Challenges we lie, disagree you're not, with you're you. Not just gonna no challenge you're gonna lies ahead. Your, like Packers, Packers, ahead. Chiefs, Super Bowl. Yeah, okay, fifty ten. To your point, yes, Mark. Three of the teams that played this weekend that won their games should be miserable because they will eventually lose. <laughs> well, only one team ends up. That on top. is the ultimate. And I don't, I don't want next Sunday, if the 49ers win 38-20, I don't need some Sessler monologue about how you saw it coming and we didn't. That certainly can happen. I would, but they should not, I'm just saying they shouldn't be discounted in that game. I, I don't think that anyone I, – I would not do that. We all agree that that's, this is just the normal thing is that San Francisco is going to be favored, and they, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they took care of business without any issues. All right. <laughs> that is one game. Let's now move to the next game that occurred on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, it got weird at Arrowhead. Kelsey trots in motion across the face of Mahomes. He sprints out to the left side. He's holding it. He's going to try to hold it. Throws it late. And is it caught in the – it's caught! Touchdown! Kansas City! The Chiefs take the lead! And Kelsey with another catch on a sprint-out run pass option again. And Kelsey gargling in the sweet nectar of the end zone. <laughs> Ryan Barlow behind the glass said, it's a good one. Mitch nailed this one. Did you say gargling? Gargling. Gargling. Gargling, gargling that nectar. <laughs> Like, uh, that? Gargling? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of gross. It's a tad. Because uh, it's thick, the nectar. It usually is. It's a tough thing to gargle, I imagine. Ah, all right, here yeah. we go. Mitch Holt is with the call. Chiefs Radio <laughs> Network. Down 24 nothing with 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. The Chiefs, they had a lot of work to do just to make the game respectable. Well, they did more than that. Patrick Mahomes threw four touchdown passes uh, in the rest of that second quarter, giving them a lead. By the end of the second quarter, a lead they would not relinquish. In fact, they'd build on it quite a bit. By the fourth quarter, it was a laugher. Final score, 51-31, Chiefs over Texans, and they head to the AFC Championship game. Greg, this is one of the wildest outcomes in a long time, in a game uh, that is, this term gets thrown around too much, unique. This was a unique NFL football game. We've never seen a game like this. Never, certainly never a first half like this in, in the playoffs. And yet... Some people on the other side of the table here, Chris Wesley and Mark Sessler, saw it coming. I think that the minute that Bill O'Brien didn't go for fourth uh, and inches to to possibly go up 28 nothing, they kick a field goal, they make it 24. Once the Chiefs get back in that game 24-7, they're very confident that the Chiefs are going to come back and win this game comfortably, and that's exactly what they did. And my big takeaway from all that is everyone killing on Bill O'Brien and pointing out the fourth and inches – or uh, other decisions, Fourth and three fake you punt. know, the fake punt. It's like Bill O'Brien wasn't playing defense for the Patrick Mahomes. You got to give credit to the the Kansas City Chiefs who scored seven touchdowns in seven possessions. I don't one play call is not going to change that. What happened is just a far better team offensively exerted their will. And that was going to happen at some point in that game, I think, no matter what Bill O'Brien did. I'm not going to kill Bill O'Brien. I thought he got the risk-reward wrong on the decision for the fake field goal and then uh, the decision to go for the the field goal and then the, the fake, he, those were backwards. I thought the risk-reward was wrong there. But this the problem with this team is they have a really bad secondary, and that's been true all year. And then they lost two of their top three safeties in Week 17 and 18, and they're playing Lonnie Johnson, a rookie cornerback, who they traded for Gary and Conley and picked up Vernon Hargraves off waivers so they could bench Lonnie Johnson 
And then in the playoffs, they were so desperate, they had to put him on Travis Kelsey. And that was a lopsided matchup. One of the most lopsided we've seen. And that's why I don't hate what O'Brien did. Although I know he went for the field goal. That was a little weak. Just give a, Sometimes just give credit to the players, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's like Mahomes, Watkins, Kelsey, they're making these plays. And Daniel Sorensen made a great play on the fake punt. Yes, I think if you had watched, if the Texans coaches are watching that play again on film, they would still call it again. I like it, t- it took a, a, an unbelievable play to yeah, stop to him. One guy and O'Brien said kill. after the game, he made it clear. He was like, we thought we needed to score touchdowns. We could not give the ball, so why keep giving he, the ball why back to them. did he kick a field goal at fourth and inches? That's fair. The Chiefs. He spoke on that, and the, I'll say what he said in a minute. Go ahead, Mark. The Chiefs basically did to the Texans what the Texans did to the Bills a week ago. They played a they, – they, 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 they had mistakes – you know, it was two special teams gaffes that put the Chiefs in a hole. It wasn't their defense getting burned and left and right. Block. Third down drops. Right? I mean, just like uncharacteristic play. But unlike the, like the tech, the, the, you know, they, able, they fought back the way the Texans did against the Bills. But unlike the Ravens, who we'll talk about, they got out of their own way and, and solved their issues, went on and scored. The possession chart is insane. <laughs> they became the first team to score on six straight drives in a divisional round game since the Packers and the Mike Holmgren Seahawks in 2007. But then they went on to score a seventh straight touchdown. And I don't blame the Texans. They just basically drove a bike into a shredder. I mean, you cannot <laughs> do a whole lot against the Chiefs when they suddenly so they got are, earned. Like a just paper shredder? Or? Like a gigantic, one of those, like, one when you read about... shredders? Like, you just, like, a, bike, a bike goes off a jump into one of those giant shredders. Oh, where like, it, a, like, like a tree Fargo. shredder. Yeah, a tree shredder. But like only Fargo. it's got to be large enough than a typical tree shredder so the bike and the person could go into it. The bike and the person representing the entire Texans team went off a jump <laughs> into the shredder and, and they got shredded. And a funnel effect in the shredder? It was more than a funnel. It was a separating the entire team into a billion pieces. Um, yeah, people see what they what they want to see. Uh, sometimes us included, we're all the same, you know. And um, in this case, it was like Twitter. Everybody's watching the same games now, and it gets crazy. It was like a Chernobyl level Twitter meltdown with the analysis in this game. Uh, within in the first ha- hour of the game in real time, everybody wanted to say Andy Reid needs to be sent out to pasture. He's he's put ten foot, <laughs> ten feet under the ground. An hour later, Bill O'Brien's getting run out of the country. Let you that's know, awesome. Which happened country. to Bill O'Brien last weekend too. I mean, know? it's just these get. It is not healthy for you know eighty million people to be watching and commenting on the same thing at once. This is a very 2020 issue that somehow we need to eradicate putting some type of system a lock system i think someone threw it out there downstairs in the newsroom everyone gets two tweets per game and make them count because you don't get to flip flop and you it will keep the sheer volume of hot takes down i'd vote for that in a heartbeat. i like that i, I could you think know, of some people that don't the, deserve two either but that's well you know. that's and some people don't yeah. you have to clear a certain can bar you get, can you get tweets taken away who decides tweets get taken away we have to install some type of a cabinet of people who who confer and decide who gets to be I mean, part that, of this. Brinson it sounds like a, sounds like a job for Claybon. Brinson and Claybon are on the cabinet. <laughs> That's very good. Um, yeah, but so should the game this guy changed. be tweeting, Dan? How about that? Who? Oh, Zolak. What is going on with Scott <laughs> Zolak? I mean, he was bombed, right? Zolak, I got to read some he of these. He claims Zolak he had tweets. the flu, but I mean, the you can have flu. all sorts of flus. So I mean, I he know. uses a derogatory term that I won't say on the air here for Travis Kelsey, uh, questioning his manhood and calling him a fake and all this stuff. 
Oh, Travis Kelsey, who what? Went 10 for 130 It was one of the best touchdowns. games by a tight end in postseason 10 history. 10 for 134 and 3. He had an early drop like the rest <laughs> of his teammates, and then he proceeded to dominate. The minute that tweet went out, he just essentially turned into like a human fireball. And Scott Zolak, for people that don't know, is the uh, play or the color guy for Patriots Radio Network. He has obviously free time this weekend, so he... The ridiculously over-the-top Patriots color guy. Yes, and Zolak, he also um, claimed that he had the flu, and that is why mm-hmm. he was tweeting in this manner. I cannot tell you, I don't remember a Sunday where more listeners of the show were hitting up my mentions saying, Dan, you're aware of this, right? You see what Zolak's doing on Twitter right now. Hey, Dan, just putting this on your radar. So, yes, we were tracking Zolak, who went dark, and it made me wonder, who shut down Zolak? Was it his wife? Was it someone from the radio station he works for? Was it the Patriots themselves? Because he did not have the flu. It was the man flu. What? We've all had <laughs> the boozing. flu before. Have you been tempted to tweet crazy stuff because you had the flu? I don't, I don't see the connection on why that led to tweets. Yeah, I've lied before, and uh, right. that's mm. what that felt like. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Texans' defense was so bad, I guess that Bill O'Brien didn't expect Greg has them no comments to on do Scott it. Zolak. No. He's like, he's my man. We don't no. claim him. No one claims him. I, I'm surprised. I was more surprised that everyone, like how many people follow Scott Zolak. What's wrong? What's wrong? You were that, offended that, that I followed It's sort him. of on you. At this point, it's 2020. If you've got bad people in your Twitter feed, that's he on you. He is entertaining. I will say this. Greg is smart because we will see him in a couple of weeks at, on, on media night at the Super Bowl, and we were couched near him a couple I mean, of years ago. if he gets ago. over the hangover. <laughs> well, fair question. Go I, ahead, Greg. I, I – I think you can tell a lot by what Bill O'Brien said after the game that basically they had no faith in stopping the Chiefs. And if you think about the start of that game, it wasn't like the Texans were stopping the Chiefs. The Chiefs were stopping the Chiefs. J.J. Watt had a, had a rough day uh, against Mitchell Schwartz. Whitney Merciless you know, didn't really make much noise. And then what's ultimately a slow team at the linebacker spot and not a very good secondary. You just had matchup problems everywhere. I mean, Sammy Watkins is making plays. Damian Williams is making plays. Nicole Hardman made a play. And there was a, a tweet about Mahomes in the locker room after the game, like laughing while looking at the stat sheet. And they asked what? And he was, he was surprised how many rushing yards he had. Like Mahomes, to me, this is just another example of that he's the biggest dangerous weapon, whatever you want to call him. To me, he's the most talented quarterback that, that's ever played in, in terms of like every box being checked. And this was a great example of it. I mean, those throws he was making on the run to Kelsey were outrageous throws. The, the, yes. the, the Texans basically yes. had the right defense on those plays. A lot of times with two on Kelsey, and he's on the run thrown across his body. We've taken it almost for granted that Mahomes just does this because no one else is doing this. Sorry, Aaron Rodgers, he's not – like no one else is doing it at this level when Mahomes Well, Aaron Rodgers has done this. Yes, in the past. Right. It's in the kind past. of perfect that it happened this weekend. Last year, Mahomes was the bell of the ball and the MVP – he threw 50 touchdowns, all that good stuff. And then Lamar Jackson mania took over, and Jackson deserves every bit of uh, positive uh, you know, energy and, and uh, comments his way because he was incredible this season. But on the same weekend that Jackson stumbles and goes out of the playoffs, I felt like this was just Patrick Mahomes reminding everyone, dude, I'm the best. I am at the top of my game right now. And I can do things nobody else can do. I would say also because it's always every I, the one thing I feel about the Chiefs it's always lost in the offense, and it makes sense because of the gaudy numbers. I don't think they get back into this game with the speed that they do without Frank Clark absolutely devastating the Texans on key third downs, three sacks in this game, and they really like they, they the Texans' offense went to sleep in a big way because they were discombobulated. 
They allowed 12 sacks in two postseason games. That's a problem. Frank Clark, we talked about it in the preview show that Clark was a guy that was had turned into a major menace in the second half of the season, and he had uh, three sacks, three tackles for loss, four QB hits, and he did it when they needed him uh, to do it because they're playing shorthanded. Uh, this, I mean, we're feeling really good about this Chiefs team, right? They Absolutely. I mean, we are. The, the without def- getting ahead of ourselves. It was this- not a good defensive performance. I mean, you gave up 442 yards to, to the Texans. You, I know special, some te- garbage special teams was a problem uh, early, but you gave up a lot of big – they're not the same without Chris Jones. To me, this was a lot closer without Juan Thornhill and Chris Jones on the field to the let's get by and let's you know count on Patrick Mahomes to put up 40-plus points type of defense than a defense that was really making a lot of plays. I mean, Deshaun Watson played great in this game too. He made a ton of plays. I mean, the the Texans offense to me with Will Fuller played well enough to win this game. Well, this defense isn't – they're not stout enough to stop Derrick Henry. But the difference is when the Chiefs fall behind, Mahomes is going to pass him out a bit. When when the Ravens fall behind, they're not meant to be a pass-first operation. They're meant to be a run-first operation. Right. It is. I do like that Will Fuller played in this game. He had five for eighty-nine. Hopkins goes nine for one eighteen. Kenny Stills uh, gets a touchdown early, where they victimize uh, Sorensen. Like we, to me, this was the Texans team. That's you fine. saw the representative effort, and they weren't good enough. That's fine. But if I'm the Texans, you have got to go into next season with a duplicate of Will Fuller that is actually able to produce <laughs> on a week-to-week basis. That's what Kenny basis. Stills was supposed to be. Well, and Kenny Stills yeah. made some plays this year. He right. has. He, he has. Made a play but in this game. The, the numbers, and you broke it down last week, when he's not on the field, Will Fuller, I mean, the offense is compromised. You've got to – they have work to do. I think they have – they're in a good spot, though, relatively. Even though they trade away that first-round pick, the offense is pretty young. It has good continuity. They have all the cap space in the world. The defensive players, for the most part, other than maybe like DJ Reader, are all under contract for next year. Like they're, we know Bill O'Brien's going to spend money. I mean, there's no reason not to expect them to be right back in the mix and maybe be better defensively. Romeo Cornell might retire or get forced to retire. Why is Honey Badger still on this team? Why did they let him go in the first place? Could they not afford it last year? That's a good question. My feels sense like that was, would be a, a good. Piece. They didn't think he was worth the top level money that Kansas yeah. City got, and, and right. they were wrong. And I think Honey Badger wanted to go play for a Super Bowl team. All right, a couple more numbers, and then I uh, uh, stats, and then I want to throw it to Andrew Reid for the last word. The Chiefs are the first team in NFL history, regular season or playoffs, to trail by twenty four plus points in the first half and be tied or leading entering halftime. Mm. Again, truly unique. The Chiefs scored fifty one points in a span of thirty two minutes. And they well, all, the, they also announced on their big video board late in the game that they had run out of fireworks <laughs> at Arrowhead literally. because the Chiefs had scored so many points and so many times they ran. That's a humble brag. Out that was. Uh, <laughs> and finally, here's Andy Reid on what he you know said and what he was projecting to his players when things were looking very bad. I just said, listen, this isn't you. I mean, let's just get back, relax, pump the brakes here for about a second, and and. Uh, Focus, refocus, and let's go. I mean, that's it's that simple, really. I mean, you're in that situation. You've only got a few quarters to, to play this game, so you got to get it done, and uh, no need to panic, right? That's not going to help it at all. So you, you just try to fix the problem, and that's kind of what we did. Mm. Speaking of uh, Mitch Holtis, I listened to a tiny bit of the radio broadcast near the end of the second quarter, and he pointed out uh, that – Andy Reid is the king of the flashpoint. Like he is a guy that when things are going sideways, he one of his great skills as a head coach is getting a team under control, making sure they don't panic, making the adjustments and also being that type of figure. 
that you could kind of not get spooked by, uh, get spooked over. Um, so Reed, good coach, good number one overall pick in the coaches draft. It was you, Dan, I think, who said that you had a envision <laughs> that, that, that very nice right. pick. Of course, you circle back, but you envisioned him at opening night of Super Bowl week. Was, Want him was on that, the riser. I mean, you you've, you you put, put a lot of people into that uh, envisioning role. This when you put Rogers there. I'm sure there's three or four I mean, others. Uh, but I, to, I think you're going to get your wish on Reed. To me, with the Ravens, we'll to me with the Ravens out, Mahomes Reed. I that's the that's the that's the A story. At least for me, I'm sure. Obviously, fan bases would feel differently. But you're confusing me with uh, Greg. By the way, he Why? wanted someone on the riser. I couldn't. Kirk Cousins. Wasn't I wanted Cousins. I know, but I dismissed. I, I, I dismissed that, that yeah. vision at this point. Yeah, uh, like Titans are freaky though. Andy Reid's one of the greatest coaches of all time. I mean, he to me, he's much more of a Hall of Famer, you know, than some some coaches that are in the Hall of Fame and. He's got his young quarterback like this. If ever there was a time, this is his time. The Patriots lost to give him this by, you know, the, the Ravens lost to set up home field advantage. Like if not now, then when? Speaking of Zolak. To give it to what, them, he took it. Yeah. One of his crazed, maniacal tweets, uh, Zolak today was, and none of this would be happening if we just beat the Dolphins. <laughs> well, that's true. Please. So how about take care of business? Let it go, bro. All right, let's head to halftime. By the way, you mentioned coaches that belong in the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Johnson. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the great uh, studio moments I've seen in a long time was uh, the big man from the Hall of Fame. Your boy, Mark. David Baker. David he's Baker. Big, bigger than a front door. He lumbers out. Literally. That guy is a man, and he makes the official announcement. that Jimmy Johnson immediately knows what it means when he sees Big man Baker coming out. You can out. fit all four of us inside of David, David Baker's uh, form. <laughs> He's a man. And, uh, and Jimmy Johnson on live television during the halftime of the late game finds out he's going to the Hall of Fame in part of the NFL 100 class. Uh, the day before, the same dog and pony trick was pulled. Uh, well, Baker went cross country. He was in New York for the CBS show and Bill Cower also getting in. But the Jimmy Johnson one was excellent because he could barely talk. He was so choked up. All of us with asthma were running through our running for our inhalers when it looked like he was so choked up that he was having trouble breathing. And then I thought, whoever the producer was that, that said, let's shoot, let's get a Troy Aikman shot here, that was gold. Yeah, and I think like we, we talked about our favorite announcer duos at this point, and I, I had to go with Aikman because of just my early football fandom and what that Cowboys team and what Aikman meant to me. But Jimmy Johnson is so tied and woven into that. I know that he was there for, you know, about half the time that Aikman was, but he changed NFL history. And I, and I feel honestly, I, we're at the point where it's not just these old timers getting to the hall of fame. It's people that we watched and kind of bathed in their careers and saw mm. them do what they do. And I, I honestly, you, you, cause I was walking in as it was happening. Dan was like, get over here. It made me feel something Sit on my to lap. watch Jimmy Johnson. And I did. And it wasn't, that was a whole different experience, <laughs> but uh, it was uh, uh, this. These are the things that the first like thing Mark felt all weekend. <laughs> I remember these are learning. the things that make me love football because ah. it's like, it is a crowning achievement on someone that probably should have been in a long time ago. He's one of those guys too. All the other coaches revere like Bell, Check and all the other coaches revere him as one of the all-time greats and couldn't understand. And it wouldn't surprise me if not only Belichick oh, yeah. helped him get in because he was on this you know, panel, but our old friend Elliot Harrison and Gil Brandt, who Elliot would stump so hard for Jimmy Johnson, and he was in that room as part of the panel. So I think Jimmy Johnson was a guy who it was like a mistake getting corrected. Actually, nice I have see. footage of when I called Mark over. It's like, Mark, come here. Sit on my lap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is... is- so it's been a weird show. That is not how that went. 
I remember learning like five years oh, ago that Jimmy yeah. Johnson was not in the Hall of Fame, and uh, and I was just shocked by that. Right? How is he not in the Hall of Fame? People forget how much of a wild leap it was to have a college coach come in and suddenly take over an NFL team. From Cowers what, moment really got upstaged, you know, because it was a Cowers moment was great too. Nice moment for Bill too. It was great. In other future Hall of Fame head coach news, the Cleveland Browns have made a hire. How dare you! <laughs> Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski is their new head coach. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported Sunday morning. Uh, comes a day after the Vikings season ended uh, in that loss to the Niners, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but that didn't deter the Browns, who after eight interviews, uh, Robert Sala, the uh, Niners DC, was very close to getting the job, it sounds like, as well, but did not happen. They go with Stefanski, who is the 18th full-time head coach, in franchise history, uh, but I believe, what is it, 12? It's it's a lot in the last decade or so. Uh, anyway, Mark, St- Stefanski in for Freddie Kitchens. Your take. Well, it leaves me, you know, I, it's hard to even know who Kevin Stefanski is, so I, I it's a wait and see on that, and, they, and they've interviewed him now for about the range of 16, 17 hours over two off-seasons, and Paul DePotesta, their analytics guy, wanted him last year and got his way this year. And I, I truly do think he got his way because the the word essentially is that Josh McDaniels went in there and what he wanted to do was suggest massive sweeping changes to the Browns. Top down, take the organization, put it in the blender, and recreate it in Josh McDaniels' image. The wood chipper. Right. And Stefanski, and I mentioned here on a tweet that I thought he looks to me a little bit like a hot dad with a complicated home life and a Netflix dramedy because he certainly is a good-looking coach and looks the part. Uh, I don't know what much more about him at this point, so that's my, the end of my commentary on him. But it was, it was Stefanski who went in and said, I will work with De Podesta, uh, which includes at this point, it sounds like according to reports, having an analytics person in your headset, which is not offensive. That makes total sense to me. A lot but of also, do that. Too. A lot of do that. So that's the, if they weren't doing that, you're catching them up, and that's fine. But also, Jimmy Haslam did not want to part ways with certain structures and certain people inside the organization. So I think whatever happens with Josh McDaniels down the road and where he goes, they will always be measured by these other coaches that – they did not bring into the building because Stefanski essentially would do what Haslam wanted to do without blowing up the apple cart. What about the report from Dustin Fox that the new head coach will have to hand in his homework on Friday so D. Podesta can take out his red pen and make it copious notes all over the game plan? I mean, I don't – again, like <laughs> I, we, other, it's, it, the Browns are going to get killed with that kind of report. Other teams are viewed as forward-thinking and right where they should be. No, because, no, no, no. I'm not, yeah. You don't have to defend the Browns here. What yeah. would you think if any team decided that all the work you put in during the week on your game plan, we have to run this through our analytics guys My, to see if it's okay? I, I – I think that the Browns have been beeline dysfunctional, and that feels a little bit like you're not empowering your coaching staff to me. But again, I don't. I want to see what 31 other teams are doing. Well, it's on that one front. of the things we you know we hit on the show every year at this time of like the front office and the coach being totally aligned, and it's tricky when you're not hiring both at the same time. And this is what happens: you have a, a group of people interviewing potential coaches, where where if you hired McDaniel's. He would essentially make the some of the people interviewing, you know, redundant or yep. out of a job. So of course they're not going to hire him, and that's that's sort of that's potentially problematic. But if the structure that Haslam actually is setting up, you know, is a, is a good idea, then it'll work out fine. I mean, it, it's just you know, past history doesn't give him the benefit of the doubt. Not at all. 
Josh McDaniels not hired. Looks like he'll be back in New England for another year at the very least. Um, I feel like Browns fans seem to be hoping it was McDaniels. I think I think that but it doesn't I, feel like a huge miss there. I mean, no, but I think that like I kind of like Salah just because I wanted to see what I just Salah felt like a wild card. Salah, well, but also, did you see the clip where uh, there there was a some sort of interview being staged and there, there's a, a Niners sort of office door behind it and the door barrels open and Salah runs through on his cell phone and like sees the camera and darts off screen and everyone's like, was he talking to the Browns on his phone right there? Because mm. it was like right before the Vikings Niners game, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, real quick, because this would fall through the cracks otherwise. Uh, the Broncos make a move on their coaching staff that surprised people. Uh, Rich Scandura- Scangarello. Skanks. Skanks. Uh, he's out after one year as the OC there. Um, and he's replaced by Pat Shermer, the recently uh, dismissed head coach of the Giants. Shermer obviously has a uh, long uh, history as an offensive coordinator and an offensive mind. Uh, that makes sense that they would want to bring him in the building. But people were surprised, Greg, that this whole angle, Drew Locke, He's had the the nice ending to their season. Their offense got better near the end of the season. Why kind of blow things up and start over? Your thoughts? Oh, I think Elway, John Elway, just is dead set on improving this offense, and they weren't <laughs> they, they weren't in love with you know Skangs as a first year coordinator. They're getting a guy who has a lot more experience than Shermer. I'm not sure you're going to go wild about Pat Shermer either, but kudos to him for the old double dip. He's going to be getting that. Nice Giants head coaching check and then uh, get a little something from Hit Mr. Elway. Vic Fangio was determined <laughs> to upgrade. <laughs> Fangio was determined to upgrade okay. this offense and Fangio. it was not improved at the end of the year. They averaged 289 yards in Drew Locke's st- starts compared to 308 mm. from the other Maybe. quarterbacks. And they were the only team in the NFL to finish bottom five in all four of points, yards, third down percentage, and red zone percentage. Maybe this is a little La Ravil Magnifico that despite what Elway said at the end of the season, he's not that freaked out that Drew Locke has to start over with a new coach because maybe he's not in love with Drew Locke anyway at this point. Mm. Wow. Mm. I'm just saying, if like if he really did finish strongly and you really believed in this kid, he's my future, maybe you would hesitate to make a change here? I saw... I, for, the sla- yeah. for the sake of continuity? And Shermer's solid, but I did see a, a tweet that stuck in my head a little bit. Just like Shermer's, you know, gone a long way the last few years with you know, on the reputation of an offense where Case Keenum played like Lamar Jackson for eight days, for eight games, you know, like where Case Keenum was just basically running around. And what ma- comparison did you just make? <laughs> like, like Case Keenum was running around and defenders were like clashing into each other, like falling all over before he threw like a 60-yard bomb and suddenly suddenly <laughs> Pat Shermer's getting all the credit for it. I mean, that was a bad, like, can you remember that? That was a wild time, the Case Keenum Vikings half that season. That was a wild time. All right, that ends our halftime. Let's get back to... Uh, action. Let's head to Baltimore. Shocker at the bank. Tannehill under center. Play fake. Tannehill looking. Throwing deep downfield. Going for Raymond. Who's there? Can he hold it? Yes! Touchdown! Titans! Khalif Raymond went to the ground as he laid out. Selling out and scoring in the divisional round. The hay is outside the barn. It's everywhere. And it's not going in for the Ravens. As Mike Keith just told you, it was exactly the opposite of what people expected. The Titans show up and blow the doors off the Ravens. 28-12 to at the bank. Ryan Tannehill 
making big passes early on. Derrick Henry doing what Derrick Henry does. 30 carries, 195 yards. That's big boy football, uh, Chris Wessling. And here we are. The 9-7 and seven Titans have now won two playoff games, and they knock off the number one seed in the AFC and the team that everyone seemed to believe was the number one team in the NFL. How'd they do it? Well, I loved what Vrabel said after the Patriots game when they asked him about how do you measure a team's toughness, and he said short yardage, both lines, kick coverage, and the run game, and the Titans excelled in all of those areas. And I think everybody knows that the two fourth down stuffs were, were the turning points in the game. After the first one, first play, Tannehill hits that perfect play-action bomb to Cleve Raymond. And after the second one on third and one, um, Derrick Henry goes 66 yards mm. after that. Those were backbreakers. I did think the other really deflating sequence was that drive just before halftime, Lamar Jackson's best drive of the game, where Ian Eagle is trying to tell us on third and 16 they should go conservative and just you know go for something and, and just punt it back to the mm. Titans. And he ends up hitting the pass. And the then bird that- taking a stray here. <laughs> That great one-handed catch by by Hollywood Brown in the middle of a Bermuda Triangle of Titans defenders, but it's so deflating to have the clock beat you right there and you run out of time. Got a shot at the beard while we're here? No, just like I, I ain't ego. This is 2020, not 1994. You don't you don't just run the ball into the line on third and 16. I know it sounds. <laughs> Come on. I would like to hear more. Come on, Bird. And we, you know, That's a big stage for you, Bird. We, we've kind of liked, you know, uh, you've always, Eagle in the past. You've been, you're a huge Eagle fan man. of the bird and the beard. The beak we, and the bird. I, Mark once told an entire bar full of people they better start reflect, respecting Eye and Eagle. Well, they weren't. Did they respect them by the end of the night? I don't night? know if the message was extremely clear, but <laughs> I, I, I know this sounds so basic, but the one thing that hit me watching, like, the Baltimore's two losses this year was the only way to kind of get them out of the monstrous flow they seem to get in every game was to get lucky with major mistakes and they and, and turnovers and that's what happened in this game and it and unlike the Chiefs I really expected I I was watching this at home with Colton who was like thought the Ravens were going to the Super Bowl was kind of blown away by what was happening because the Titans like are just not had not been on everyone's radar to this degree especially not this juggernaut version of the last couple weeks and they could not get out of their own way and I just waited and waited for them to get back on track in their flow start doing what the Chiefs did down the stretch today and it never happened it was like observing just a bad dream that you expect to wake up from and it's actually October 8th and they're 7-0 and I wouldn't say that uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were on tilt in this game, but you could see it in their faces and you could sense it in that crowd that there was a bit of shock. That They don't play from behind. Yeah. They haven't been and in these situations. I think you know? part of the shock was it didn't feel like there was, this was luck that was leading to the Titans uh, pouring it on and jumping out to this 14 nothing lead and essentially coasting to a win. They just got beat, and they got beat handily. And that is pretty hard to figure out. And we were talking about it last week, Mark. You were making the point that people tend to get too wrapped up in the team that just played and forget about the bye week. This was the other side of the coin where the team that had the bye and then the team that was so good that they didn't even play week 17, their big guys, they come out and they did look rusty. And I, I, and I do not want this to be like the storyline that everyone talks about, but it's fair to bring it up that the Ravens were just cooking all season. They disappear for 20 days, and when they come back, they're a different team. They were taken out of their element. I mean, their running backs had nine carries in this game. 
Ingram's injury. They missed killed Mark him. Ingram yeah. a lot. They Let did. He, you know, he had, a, he had a run or two where he looked okay, but you know they didn't use Gus Edwards. They just didn't like hand the ball off. You know, when Marquise Brown is catching seven, Snead catches six. You know, it's just like that's that's not exactly who the Ravens are. And I give so much credit to the Titans for taking them out of who they are, especially on offense. You know, the Ravens, the Titans' offense. That is, the Ravens built their team. From the back to the front, and I think I think the Rams did this. I think the Patriots did this. I think the Titans have done this. That it's a, a, an interesting, maybe smart way to use your cap space, build up this big secondary, and blit- they've been blitzing like crazy. All the money's back there. They couldn't even play those guys. Like Jimmy Smith barely played in the game because the the Titans didn't have many receivers on the field. It was a to- they had to defend something they weren't really totally ready to defend. You can't blitz every down, which is basically what they did all season when the other team's not throwing the ball. It was like they kind of neutered what the Ravens were doing so well, and I think that was true on the other side where they really dared them to pass all game, and the Ravens obliged and, and they couldn't yeah, do it. I, I felt like Lamar Jackson's passes were you know he's been a crisp thrower in other games to the point where that was one of his biggest you know elements of growth this season he just seemed to be off and how many name another game for Baltimore this year where they had a drive crumble at the 36 with an interception another one crumbled at the 31 with a Lamar Jackson pick and then a, a drive that crumbled on downs at the Titans 18 hmm. that's they left they, See, they I think left Lamar, points on the board and then they got into a really rough, rough right. position I think in the Lamar, second half I actually think Lamar played and threw the ball pretty well after the first quarter, but the short yardage runs that got stuffed were an, an absolute killer. Why I, is he throwing the ball 59 and then the, times? And then the two, he had three turnovers. I'm not really going to put the first one on him. That was the sort of bad luck that you're talking about, that yeah. suddenly it got spooky. That was a, basically a drop by Hayden Hurst. The other two turnovers were on him, and that's not what he did during the season. I mean, he threw a bad pick, and he and he fumbled and lost the ball that he shouldn't have, and that fumble to me was was pretty telling in that game too. Jeffrey Simmons just took the ball away. I am forgetting right now who was the Raven that was there, but when Lamar fumbled it, the, there was a Ravens player there first. It seemed like he had recovered. And Jeffrey Simmons just comes in there and steals the ball. And like that was kind of like one of the big plays of the game is he just like grabbed it away from and him. And on the flip side, you have Jonu Smith making one of the better catches we've seen in you know 10 years worth of playoffs. The split they, butt cheek. They were just making the – yeah, the split butt cheek catch. Like <laughs> they're just making – they were making plays. And the little trick play – from Derrick Henry into the Eagles. Come on, I mean, they just, they got creative. And and they, against the Patriots, they didn't care about New England's legacy. They didn't care about Foxborough or any of that nonsense or Scott Zoluck. They had no fear. And my question was, would that carry over to this week? Because we talked about the Titans being loose, but the Ravens have been loose the entire season. And they just simply carried on with the same exact force and power of a week ago. You talk about that no fear. And to me, the one play that is emblematic of the Titans team is... Derrick Henry shoving Earl Thomas around and the stiff arm and then shoving him in the back. I wrote an article in 2016 when John Robinson was hired as GM. Their purpose in life is going to be get big and shove around all these teams that are going nickel and dime packages, getting small and speedy at linebacker. And the Titans' plan was let's draft Jack Conklin at right tackle, put him with Taylor Lewan, pick up some guards, and plow Derrick Henry through your defense, and that's what they've been doing. This is a tough team, and they remind me so much. Mark, we're old enough for this. John Riggins and the Hogs with the Redskins, where they are on a historically great playoff run with their running game. Think when the Texans go up 14 nothing, then 21 nothing, then 24 nothing. the reason why it felt like the Chiefs had a chance is because 
The Chiefs are so explosive, obviously. And the Texans, they didn't have like a Derrick Henry. That's why no. once it got to 14 nothing in this game, like they also have Derrick Henry, who is the evolutionary Earl Campbell right now. You knew the Ravens were in serious trouble. And that's and I do not want to overshadow what the Titans did because and you Titans fans always think I'm against you. I'm I am really how how could you not be out? I mean, the how impressive they played. It was incredible. But I keep going back to I cannot believe the egg that the Ravens laid in this game. I mean, they were 8-for-8 eight eight in the regular season on 4th and 1. They go 0-for-2 in this game. That's insane. They had five drop passes, according to PFF, the most in a game that they've had all season. And... It just and you know Lamar Jackson, who I didn't think played poorly, but it's crazy. Threw it fifty nine times. He ran how many times? Twenty times. He touched the ball in more plays in this game than any quarterback in NFL history. It's like in any game. It was just like isn't that crazy? With Mark Ingram banged up, (laughs) just like uh, Lamar, save us! And one player can't do it all. He ran for one hundred and forty three yards. It's it's crazy, and there was a lot of that padding at the end of the game. But Marlon Humphrey, uh, the Ravens' safety, he. He was very honest about what he felt happened to Baltimore in this game. You know, you got to look yourself in the mirror, and I think it's this team right now, his identity is get the playoffs and choke. And just, you know, it is what it is. That's just the, the hard truth. Really? They haven't, they haven't won a playoff Double game. Double down and, on that You know, they've well. lost, they've lost, they've, you know, the Jaguars have won two more playoff games in the last five years than the Ravens. The Ravens have, haven't won any. Such now, a I don't think that's, I don't think that's time. true. Right, I don't think that's true that that's their reputation. I think he's just, that's his way of, of dealing with anger and a defense like the, you know the offense for the scoring twelve is wild. That's the lowest that a the the highest scoring Left NFL a lot of team points on the field has ever but, scored. But the defense played pretty poorly too. As good as the as good as the Titans' defense was in short yardage, I think of the three runs that Tannehill picked up. And Tannehill's yeah. not getting a lot of love for these performances, but he had one for a touchdown where he made a great decision not to pass it off, made a great read, like kind of bowled over a guy into the end zone. That's a type of Lamar Jackson play. He had another first down he picked up with his legs that led to the first touchdown of the game right near the goal line. And he had another quarterback sneak later in the game. So I, I know his numbers haven't been like Too unbelievable. Too much score scouting. He's playing well. He's, he's done his job. They just haven't needed it. They're just doing it a different way. It's pretty incredible, though. Under 100 yards passing in both games. First quarter- and they've won easily both games. First quarterback to win two playoff games in a row like that since Terry Bradshaw in the, in the Steel I forgot who, who tweeted this, but they, they their hope was that the Titans would win the Super Bowl and over the course of four playoff games, Tannehill <laughs> would throw for less than 400 yards, which yeah. seems possible. By the way, footnote, yes. Dan, you won your lock. I... Not boldly, not boldly locked up the Ravens, kind of hedging my bets, trying to get into a late season showdown with Greg. Lost. The Ravens and, always screwing you. It doesn't yeah, matter what the true. context that, there is. A, there is a history of that. But Dan and I now sit two games behind Greg, so we are just aiming for a three-way tie. And whatever he does <laughs> All from Greg here needs on to out, do is get one pick two right back in the last two weeks. to play. Yeah, I just got to get one right. Uh, Jax, Lamar Jackson set career highs. Incompletions, 31. Incompletions, 28. Pass attempts, 59. Passing yards, 365. As Greg mentioned, he runs for 143 yards. Uh, He really did stuff the stat sheet. And if you're box score scouting again, you're saying, wow, he had one of the great NFL games in a losing (laughs) effort ever. But that wasn't the case either. He didn't bring his A game either. It was just, to me, remarkable what happened here. I was kind of proud of football Twitter. You had to kind of hunt 
for people to have lousy takes on Lamar Jackson after the game as if they were going to bury him. You had to go and find them. They, yeah. were, they weren't out there. Now, I found a couple howlers. If any, there were, there if, were a few. If but anything, yeah. the, the more annoying thing was the guy in the press conference, and this happens all the time, who goes, you know, L- Lamar, you know, you know, a lot of people are going to be saying, you know, that you struggled with the playoffs. How hard is it going to be for you to deal with, you know, people saying that? And it's like, you said it. They right. say. You, don't, you don't have to ask that. You don't have to ask they that. They say. Right. It's like, people are going to be talking about your playoff struggles. No, man. You're Own talking. It. Own your criticism. All right. The little, Ravens. Little punk. The Ravens there you go, go Greg. Home. Get him. Get that little punk. <laughs> Well, put a name on it if we're going to really – I don't know who it was, actually. I did I did rewind it because I, I kind of wanted to figure out by the voice who what, who it was, but I couldn't tell. I do want to get – I don't know what it does or what it doesn't do, but um, the little calf massage uh, – Oh, I like that thing. Taser yeah. gun that yep. Mark Ingram was using. Uh, bef- and you knew once he was doing that, he's like, oh, they're done. Wait, it you was know, a Mark taser Ingram's gun? It, it was, wasn't a taser it, gun. It was, it was kind of – it was like pointed. And it was going it was up like and down. It was like violently the- massaging <laughs> oh, yeah. his calf. I have, I, one I have one of those things, and it's the goddamn best thing in the world. <laughs> I mean, it got him back on the field. It's, one, like, it's not pointy you, no. like that. No, it's the more conventional one you've probably seen. Like you see him on the sidelines. On sometimes. that trip, you, you know, I consider I went on a it trip. like a third child. You know, I went on a trip with Mark Ingram, by the way. Mention that oh, to yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. But there was a player that had the massage thing Greg is talking about, and I thought about that, but this one was much more. Yeah, that was crazy. This was much more pointed and very dangerous looking. A masculine, but, almost like a medieval weapon. Yes, it looked medieval to some degree. Uh, quick update on, on Rhoda, Keisha's mom. Big yeah. Lamar Jackson oh, fan. Yeah. She had sewed her own like Lamar Jackson Ravens pants and socks and went and went to Buffalo Wild Wings <laughs> to go watch the game and you know She went to B dubs? <laughs> she went to B dubs out here for a St. Louis Rams fan. By the way, we don't have a sponsor, so B dubs, come at us. She was kind of despondent but had a really positive attitude after the game and basically said this is a confident growing quarterback and it's a good team. All they have to do is get stronger next year, surround him with better weapons, and we're talking about an MVP embracing the challenge and coming back even better next it's true. year. It's true. Sounds like a mother. It's like hard to get back, mom. It is hard to yeah. get back, but they are set up great. They Marshall Yonda might retire. Jimmy Smith is probably gone, but they have not nearly as many you know changes that, as they made a year ago. Cap space, like, I don't know. They're, they're set up pretty nicely. Is Derrick Henry going to have the greatest playoff run in the history of the NFL for a running back? He's been on I mean, stop. We're entering, he's entering the conversation They need to win. Now. Yeah, they need to win this next one. And, oh, my yeah. God. Unbelievable. So the Tennessee Titans will play the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC title game at Arrowhead. Let's close it out with the first game of the weekend at the Big Bell Bottom. Third down and nine. Here comes the gold rush. Cousins back. Throws on right. Intercepted by Richard Sherman. And Sherman will take it back inside the 30-yard line. Dropped on the Minnesota 28-yard line. Mm, good call there, Greg Papa. Niners Radio Network, Richard Sherman. He saw it coming. He read Kirk Cousins. He made the play. A big interception. The Niners get the ball back. They run it eight times in a row for a touchdown. Goodbye. Game over. San Francisco cruises to a 27-10 win over the overmatched Minnesota Vikings. Mark, the Niners dominated this game on defense and in the running game. I don't care what arrow we're in. You're in good shape when you're doing that. I mean, it's one of those games where you could tell within five or six minutes that the Vikings, and they they have done this a number of times late in this season, pulling, Wes, as you tweeted, just an ultra no-show. 
They just were not there. And and that's why I just consider the Niners so dangerous because they got finally healthy on defense, and I thought D. Ford made a couple plays early that mattered. You're getting big plays from Kendrick Bourne. You've got Tevin Coleman, who's been relatively, you know, not, not really the big part of this lineup, used excessively. Kyle Shanahan must have just thought this is the guy to lean on this week. Jimmy G doing what he needed to do, one turnover early, but really made a lot of great throws, and they just absolutely dominated. And I, it, the Vikings, to me, did not the one thing that concerned me, and I, I we mentioned this on the on the preview show, was you have to establish right away Dalvin Cook, like they did a week ago against the oh, Saints. Oh, they tried so hard. They really, really tried to the point where it was like, give me a break. But he had like, <laughs> I think he had 18 yards on the entire day, and they just could not play the kind of offense they wanted to play. And at the point where we talked about Kevin Stefanski and they were saying that Cleveland was looking at that game as a referendum of Salah versus, you know, Stefanski. I mean, Salah absolutely dropped an A-bomb on the Vikings. So I don't know how they came out with the answer they did on that front. But (laughs) this was... One, you're gonna Better get not one. to think about it too much. No, though. I don't. But you're going to get one of these every divisional round weekend, I feel like. Just an, just an absolute, almost, you have to just sit back and accept it, a beatdown. And this is what, this is at, this is, I think Vikings fans probably within 15 or 20 minutes of kickoff just said, I understand we're not, we, we are not going to compete in this, this game. This is an easy one to digest if you are a, a fan of the losing team because, yeah, they're outgained. Well, the Niners only put up 308 total yards of offense, but... When you put up 147, and a big chunk of that comes on a, a digs play early on, uh, they just were unable to do anything in this game. And it was so clear, even though they were hanging around score-wise uh, for much of the first half uh, and even early in the third quarter, the game just felt over pretty quickly. Yeah, even in that third quarter, the, the 49ers were only up by a little bit, but they had 20 first downs to the Vikings' four at that point. That's a perfect stat and to look at. 12 straight runs down your throat mm. to put the game out of reach. That's just disrespectful. And a reminder by the 49ers that when they're healthy, this team is exceptionally deep and talented to the point where you've got Matt Breida as a garbage time afterthought. You can do things like put Emmanuel Mosley in your starting lineup and take Akella Witherspoon out if he's struggling a little bit. They've just got a lot. Mm. of parts that they can move around. You can have D. Ford as a designated pass rusher when he's healthy. Quan Alexander in there making plays. This is a deep, deep, talented team. Yeah, that drive where they just ran it down their throats. And really the whole game, if you watch the two running games, I kind of was thinking, you know, you had Kubiak on one side and you had Kyle Shanahan on the other side. And he's like, I am the real Shanahan. I am the real son of Mike Shanahan. We have the Broncos running game. We're the offensive line that you can just put in anyone behind like Raheem Moster or, you know, whoever it is. And we're going to be able to run the ball, whereas you have an all pro running back and you're trying to be the Shanahan running game. And it's not really happening. And I think for the you. surprise was because coming off of last week, and I, one of the reasons I think Greg that you were high on them was that the Vikings' defense looked like they had turned a big corner. But it mattered a lot to get Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley back at tackle. I mean, to your point, when they're healthy, now their line is healthy again. And I just I don't see uh, an overt weakness because you don't have to have Jimmy G do what. Patrick Mahomes is doing. He threw for 131 yards, but they imposed the will. We've got a lot of these playoff teams at this point that when you run the ball at this time of year, like, and that, I know that's super cliche, but the Niners simply do it effectively. And the Vikings did not have a, a first down in the second half until five minutes left when the game was over. Well, this defense you know, that, that, that was so unbelievable in the first half of the year, it, partly because of injuries, but I'm not putting it all on injuries that they weren't the same down the stretch. You just wanted to see that kind of performance. And you saw it. I mean, Ar- Armstead, Bosa, and Buckner 
combined for 22 pressures. I mean, those three guys alone just – they killed him. I mean, Cousins didn't play well. He had a bad pick. He There was a couple times where he had some time, and he just took an easy check down. I mean, Dalvin Cook had How about- six catches for eight yards, but it, it, I don't know. Wow. I don't think it would have mattered if he played well. In this game. Claybon tweeted this, so credit to him. But how about your quarterback makes a play out of structure just one time? Right. How about when the running game is shut down, you find a way to make plays when they pressure you? I mean, you're allowed to do that. And for the second time (laughs) in four weeks, they basically came one floater to Stefan Diggs away from 100% ineptitude on offense. Mm. My my lasting image from this game – was just cousins with his with his hands over his ears. He's like, I can't hear. I can't. I mean, didn't you guys see that a million times in this yeah. game? Is he's just like he's kind of shaking his head, trying to hear the play it's call because it's so loud it's there, and then he's year. taking a check down. It's been a good year at the Big Bell Bottom. Yeah, for a yep. stadium that's gotten a ton of heat and criticism uh, to the point where some people can't even sit on one side of the stadium because it was built in the wrong direction. There's all sorts of heat around Levi Stadium, but there have been several spots where that place has sounded loud. Here's a stat. Um, that where was it? Did I lose it? I was so excited talking about the big bell bottom. Uh, well, while you get there, you know, yeah, one, one visual that I thought illustrated how this stadium had an ability to explode was when Joey Bosa, who was dominant yesterday with oh, two sacks, great. was down on the ground near the end of the game with an injury, and it looked like he wasn't moving for a bit, and he was kind of whispering and not moving to the trainers. And then they kind of got away from him, and his body started shaking like Hulk Hogan-like, or what's the, like talk about all these other wrestlers. Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate yeah. Warrior, just like his body and like rising yeah. up, stood up and just started dancing up and down the field, and the stadium went literally It was nuts. his it was Rod like, Tidwell moment from was, Jerry Maguire. It was Remember beautiful. That? Yeah, exactly. After Rod Tidwell <laughs> yes. suffers a massive brain injury, he's doing backflips in the end zone. Uh, here's the stat. The 49ers are the second team since the 1970 merger to allow fewer than 30 rushing yards and have more than six sacks in a playoff game. The other team, the 1985 Bears in Super Bowl wow. 20. Anytime you get connected to the 85 Bears, you're doing something very, very good. Oh, my gosh. That is why that, it, 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 it could have been a lot worse. Like, the 49ers didn't need to score more. So, and I almost felt like they took the foot off, you know, the gas a little bit. Like, they played really well offensively. Five of their first six drives had eight-plus plays. Jimmy Garoppolo and his wide receivers made plays, especially early. The numbers aren't that crazy for Jimmy G, but if you look at, I think there was three or four different third and longs, which were high-difficulty throws under pressure, and guys like Bourne, Samuel, and Sanders, like, made tough catches, too, off of good throws. Like, Jimmy G played well, too, kind of like Tannehill. The numbers weren't great. But other than the interception, Pancake he played well. Pancake the linebacker. Right. Pancaked yep. Anthony Barr. This will, this will be very, very tired even by Tuesday's episode, but you are going to get Kyle Shanahan versus Matt LaFleur now, which I think is a nice master-student showdown, mm. which we just had that. Kyle, another, another potential for it. I am the real Shanahan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Matt LaFleur <laughs> is the real Shanahan. I mean, he was, I mean, he was there, he was there in, um, in uh, Washington that under Mike Shanahan. That's he, an aggressive claim by he was, Matt LaFleur. But yeah. He was there in um, Hooters once. Uh, Jeff Darlington introduced me to the, this brand-new like Washington Redskins coaching staff, and it was just like – Ky, you know, it's Kyle Shanahan and a bunch of his friends, and they looked. You know, they were ten years. They were younger than me you know, by a decent did, amount. How old did like, Matt Lafleur look like, then? I was like, "What is happening right now?" The flower, if he can go into San Francisco and and get a W, the bearded boy becomes the bearded man. 
That, that's, I think he's not a boy now. Sure. He's moved beyond boyhood. But he, he's, he's an adolescent with a beard now. He's the bearded then, teen. Then he'd be a man with a beard, and no one has a problem with a man with a beard. <laughs> uh, Richard Sherman, you heard at the top, 38 career interceptions. And he's been down this road before, Wes. He's been in the NFL's version of the Final Four several times. Uh, he knows how to play the narrative game going into the big ball game. <laughs> People just keep disrespecting us. Um, and at the end of the day, all you can do is go out there and impose your will and execute. And that's what our D-line and our, our secondary and our linebackers were able to do. Our offense did a great job of scoring points um, and taking advantage of the opportunities. It felt good. It felt good. That's, that's what we look like when we're totally healthy. Uh, uh, have they been totally disrespected? I mean, Did I miss something there? By Greg? But yeah, I, I was going to say, else. he was talking to me Oh, right, you were on the Vikings People, train, yeah, I forgot. I mean, here's what happens. If 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 15 to 20% <laughs> of the like analysts out there pick against your team, then it's like wild disrespect or <laughs> whatever. everyone is disrespected. You know, it's not like, yeah, of course, like if you have, there's a million idiots like us talking about these games. And so, yeah, like eight, only eight out of 10 picked the 49ers in an incredibly unpredictable sport. It's That's unnecessary. That's the disrespect you'll find. You've got to craft some straw men as right. you're going that into said, this. That said, it was you know. a horrific uh, prediction. I mean, this was the, a one-sided bloodbath. I mean, in your defense, you also predicted the Vikings to lose by 30 points in the Super Bowl, so you didn't <laughs> totally get it wrong. They lost convincingly. It was just a sure. couple weeks earlier. Sure. That, Any final thoughts? There was – before these playoffs started, there was one team in the last decade that ran on at least 69% of their plays – now there are four. The Titans have done it twice, and the 49ers did it. Wow. It's a running playoffs. It's we- Yeah, it, mm. and it's crazy that the Ravens aren't involved, too. I was thinking that with the Titans. It was like this team who's kind of like playing football a totally different way, you know, went into Baltimore and beat them. Like <laughs> Ryan Tannehill is your revolutionary leader. <laughs> Doppelganger. And Dean Pease. Dean Pease is just mowing through – organizations who didn't want him anymore. Go up and take out Belichick. Go up and take out Pull out, out of Ravens. retirement. Yeah, the Ravens. Oh, you try to retire me? Please. I'm Dean Pease. Jared Valdir, Marshawn Lynch, Dean Pease. Retirement means nothing these days. Bad job by us. We talk about coordinators all the time. We didn't bring up Arthur Smith once for the Titans. Did oh, we? my God. Arthur Smith, great job. What a play call yeah. on the I Derek know, it's, Connery it's touchdown. It's funny because everyone He's loves been flawless. it. That's, that's like the perfect call where if that did not work, everyone would have killed Arthur Smith. It, like, right. but I, like, how could you, you have Derrick like Henry Bill and you're punt. trying to get cute on third down in the biggest spot, but then, it, you know, Derrick yeah. Henry's a, a baller and great call. He's in the zone, but Mike Vrabel isn't just one of these typical defensive coaches who – you handcuffs his offensive coordinator. He told uh, Arthur Smith at the end of that Patriots game on a key drive, go win the game, call whatever you have to call to win the game. He didn't say, run the ball, do this to the clock. He just said, go win the game. And I think Arthur Smith is getting a lot of his confidence mm. from Derrick Henry, who's the power source of that confidence, and Mike Vrabel. He's not putting on fourth and 11. Mike Vrabel, arrow up. Um, one of my favorite tropes also, uh, analysis, play-by-play tropes of a, a big game. Or a t- around a team, that team takes on the personality of their head coach. The Titans are their Mike Vrabel personified. That's a thing. Yeah. And so you like, don't buy that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know. So whatever. what? Okay. What? So does what that are, mean if they're the if they're pa- a bad what are team? The, what are the Packers? They're, just, they're a flower and they're a little boy with a beard. Yeah. So what? Are, what are the the Forty Niners? They're like they're like a cool Flat dad who, who who likes <laughs> Little Wayne. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's got to be a little worried here. A little solid, a little, little 
as uh, as <laughs> as our it? friend Andrew Hawkins pointed out, he named his kid after Little Wayne, and Little Wayne is a Packers fan. Uh, that's some problems. Some, some problems. Uh, little, uh, you know, he's got a lot of issues, Little Wayne. Um, <laughs> Chemical, it's yeah, move. dependency. If he feels but, like, what does that mean for Perry Fuel? Like, if you take on the personality of your head coach, does that mean that because the Panthers got blew, blown out like four straight weeks that Perry Fuel is like some type of like. I think it's typically you know, when things are going monster. well. But to your point, I feel like it doesn't need to be said. I feel like if you're a football fan, you're watching your team over the course of a year, you feel that. Pointing that out feels a little hmm. excessive. I once uh, saw the Bengals take on the personality of Dave Shula when the linebacker came over and patted him on the head on the sideline. Oof. Rough. All right. Good recap, guys. Oh, the the AFC Championship, NFC Championship schedule is as follows. Uh, Vamp, somebody say something while I... You wanted me to say it? Yeah, go ahead. The Titans and the Chiefs play at 3.05 Ah. Eastern. They're up first. Nice. In the NFC, Hmm. Packers in San Francisco, 6.40 Eastern. I like that. I like these matchups. This is nice. There is no matchup where I would be annoyed. And that's usually... Well, usually the Patriots are involved here. So we're totally in the clear there. Um, yeah, it's been a unlike Julian Edelman, who's not in the clear right now. He is fact, actually. They, he, he did is not in very big danger. Yeah, he, he got <laughs> spending a mi- the rest he, of his life in prison. Well, here's the thing with Edelman getting a misdemeanor for jumping on someone's car in Beverly Hills. I, you know, I did the Google Maps just to see where that was, and it was, it's where I thought <laughs> it's basically like a uh, like a popular shopping sort of street in Beverly Hills, like the last place that you should be. Like sure. trying there's, to there's like be, be going presence. out on the no, it's not even that. It's more just like who are you trying to fool that, or who are you trying to kid that you're some sort of like cool tough guy on the town like doing things. You're at, you're out in Beverly Hills near like Earth Cafe. Well, what? Like, give me a break. What time did it occur? I, that, that, it was after a boozy I mean, dinner. Right. That's what I was going to say. I yeah. mean, Greg, is, Greg is treating it like a man walking down the avenue at 3 p.m., you know, having come from That's what a, I'm saying, a piece though. of cake. This is a very quiet, boring part of, like, like the richest part <laughs> it's of Hills. anywhere. It's right. pathetic. He may not have been operating at full capacity. It, was, it have been, you know. It was not a rigorous decision-making process going on in Edelman's head at the time, and I have done dumber stuff in my 40s, so I can't say anything. As Ooh. have I. I was going to say, yeah, none of us are, are perfect, but, you know, you a grown man, 33 years I, old, jumping I, on Lamborghinis. The first thing I thought what when I read doing, it, there's a, there's a series of images that came to mind that I'm glad I didn't get caught for on certain little th- I'm not saying it was I didn't rob a bank or something. We have that. a tweet from Paul too. Pierce. Is that true? Did I just hear that in my ear? The Paul I mean, that's, Pierce it's tweet? definitely the wrong place to be jumping on cars because they're going to call the police. Everywhere else, that's just Thursday night. But Beverly Hills, they're like, someone just jumped on my car. Yeah. Get this. Get this. Uh, Get this Edelman out of here. And it was Amendola and Edelman hanging out together last night? Yikes. And Paul Pierce. Amendola. That's what Ricky's he, like, people taking right out there. windows with a baseball bat? Like, <laughs> what is she like a say unruly gang your... of 30-something I don't know. I think they went out for drinks, and he tried to be a cool guy and jumped on someone's car, and he Grow didn't up, play, pay it off. This you is know? an UVM. Yeah. He got arrested. We've all done. Like, you no, know, I, 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 I'm willing to, like. We've all been arrested? Yeah, I jump on cars every day. How do you think I get to my car at the end of the night? I hop from hood to hood. Like, it's just what people do. Of course. That's what everyone, that's what they do. I was arrested, but that was college. That was college. That was also from well, male fraud. You guys fraud. are bad, you know, bad boys also. <laughs> I've been in trouble. I I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about Edelman. Stay tuned for the after Girl show up. where we go through uh, Wes and Greg's rap sheets, uh, arrest by arrest, and we <laughs> dig into the aftermath and what it, what it meant in terms of the family and the penal system. It's going to be a great show. 
coming up. Maybe it'll be a segment on our uh, our TV show Friday <sighs> afternoon. Well done. It won't be, but that would yeah, be an I can amazing segment. That, Six that o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Pacific. Our, our potentially our last TV show. Who knows? Also, check out that <laughs> that all important Saturday three a.m. Eastern uh, airing, which is also Edelman could have watched midnight that. our time. Yeah. Well, if they had a TV in the Slammer. True. He was in the did big not house take by him. then. They did not take him. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday. Stan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss. Rick Hollywood, Ryan Bartlett, and the whole gang behind the glass. Thank you to everybody. Till Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins.